0: Uh, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it either. Where the heck is it? There it is. And welcome to post-game content i'm michael and i'm here with my co-host max how you doing i'm good how's it going everybody oh well it has been a long thanksgiving (laughs) recording this on a monday night after an extended weekend so that was this i'm exhausted is what i'm trying to say uh how was your thanksgiving max It was great.
1: It was great. I spent it with my fiance's parents. They always make too much food, so I am still recovering a little bit.
0: Who doesn't make too much food on Thanksgiving, though? Because if you don't make enough, then, I mean, there's no just right, because everyone always overeats, so you always have to make
1: too much. I agree with that. Now, here's why I'd say the excess point is, is when you start getting into multiple birds on the table, things (laughs) have gone astray.
0: But uh, what if those birds are stuffed in other birds? That seems like somewhat of a tradition for some people.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> and it's a sexy tradition, no question.
0: I mean, do you use the words bird and inside? I mean, and table? I mean, come on. Like, there's just too much sexiness in one sentence. Whole new podcast, and I'm hard within the first minute. <laughs> Well, anyway, yeah, I mean, it's it was a good Thanksgiving. I'm glad it's over, though. We're moving into the holidays, and I'm also excited for those to be over as well, as far as, like, <laughs> Christmas. And I just, regard re, anyway, I'm going to move past <laughs> that entirely. Welcome to the inaugural first episode of post-game content. As you might have caught from the trailer, this is a podcast where myself and Max will get together, hopefully on a monthly basis, and really just dig into Uh, Just one game, just absolutely rip it apart and really dig into what makes it fantastic to us, both, again, subjectively and objectively, probably more subjectively. Um, But that's kind of the point of the show is we want to dig into why we love it, what we think makes it great, and hopefully kind of engage you guys in some conversation, uh, maybe in Discord or on Facebook or whatever social media is that we kind of eventually open up that, that tag along with this podcast. Uh, yeah, and You it, can
1: pretty much – you'll consider this being probably 60% gush session and 40% analysis.
0: I, I, and I agree with that. And the reason I think that that's so prevalent to bring up is because when he says 60% gush session, you could just assume that anything we're going to be talking about on the show are games that we like. So mm-hmm. don't tell us that you want to hear about the next Call of Duty because we're not going to play it. We're not going to – it's just, I'm, I wasn't going to play it anyway. I definitively won't play it for the sake of this show. I've got four kids and <laughs> I don't have time to play shitty games that are just copy pastes. So j- you're just going to have to swallow that right now. So I wonder how it, much of the audience we just lost. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I mean, there's really not a lot to talk about on games like that. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you're offended, I'm really sorry, but I'm not at the same time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, just to roll into this, uh, I wanted to talk about, before we jump into the core content, the point we're all here to uh, to listen to today, um, I found a game today that I adore, and I just started playing it today. It was recommended to me by a friend of mine, um, and I love it. Uh, Max, have you played Death's Door? Death's Door. Uh, that's a roguelike, right? Uh, yes, sort of, kind of. Okay, it's I would say it's rogue light more than rogue like, but I, I'm just enamored by this game. Like, (laughs) the art style is beautiful. The soundtrack is like a eleven out of ten. Like it just sucks me in and keeps me going. I'll like I'll find myself revisiting certain areas that I've already beat just to listen to the music again. Uh, It it does a great job of letting it. The reason I don't I don't say rogue rogue like is because like the the progression is constant. So gotcha. if I die, I don't have to go back and redo everything. Uh, there are certain areas I kind of have to go back through uh, if I haven't beat the boss or anything like that. Very souls like if I haven't me- made it to that certain area, you know, I'll go back all the way and all the enemies will kind of respawn. I see. Um, but you, you take like a rogue and mix it with like souls and then put it on like this third person like artsy wind waker style platform it's just it's beautiful it's fantastic and it's only 15 bucks right now on sale uh and norm only 20 at launch so i mean it's 100 worth every like this is if i finish it and i have a, have a great time with it it would make game of the year status like i'm loving it that much already oh wow yeah and my friend uh i i mean i and most of you listening to this might have already, might know Roger. He was the one that recommended it to me. And he's even saying this might be one of his like choices for the game of the year. And Roger's very meticulous about his games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for something new to try, Death's Door is fantastic. And I can't recommend it enough. I will so, definitely check that out. Yeah. So, anyway, off my soapbox here. <laughs> are you playing anything good, Max?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually. Uh, I've been kicking around on. Uh, Xbox Game Pass which Mm. I if anybody is out there and you have a PC and just pick it up just do it for yourself you'll you'll try a bunch of games that you wouldn't ordinarily and it's a it's a pretty risk-free to try like some very high quality games um I just finished playing a game called the Forgotten City the Forgotten City started out as a Skyrim mod that a couple of people put together um and it ended up winning some Australian like writing award. And then they actually like spun off, made their own publisher and created a full game out of it where, uh, you're a explorer kind of guy who gets stuck in a time loop and sucked back into ancient Rome. Um, Mm. where the entire city that you're in collapses. If anybody within the city sins and it's sort of a, a puzzle game of figuring out like, okay, what, Counts as a sin. How do I keep these people from killing themselves? How do I keep them all in line and figure out how to escape this time loop? It's a really really interesting concept Um, And you can truck through it and I I think maybe it took me 10 hours It was it was a lot of fun highly recommended
0: you said uh, Forgotten City, and I immediately thought of those like Call of Cthulhu games for some reason. Maybe it's just yeah. a, a similar name, but... Oh, uh, Sunken at, City, yeah. What's it? Does it play like? I'm assuming since the Skyrim mod, it plays a lot like Skyrim or, oh, yeah. or Scrolls. Okay. Same
1: janky cons, uh, combat, <laughs> same heavy-ass movement. Look, Question. Bethesda games suck generally, but... Are,
0: <laughs> are there mods for this mod of a game? Oh, God. I bet there are. <laughs> Not to get too, like, meta here, but that, You're right. that, that would be fantastic. <laughs> it's just going to go right down the rabbit hole. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. Generally, obviously, since Max and I are doing this show together, generally, if he enjoys something, I'm going to like it, too. He mm. recently recommended and actually picked picked it up for me as a gift. Thank you, by the way. Outer Wilds. And I'm having a time with that game. I can't say good <laughs> or bad yet because, honestly, I'm just a little too lost to determine it one way or the other. I but could talk about that game for a very long time. I And honestly, I'm playing it so that way we get the chance to talk about it. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping I can eventually find the groove because I'm waiting for the moment where it like starts to click and fall into place so that way I can be like, oh, that's what I need to do every time and I keep trucking through this endless loop that I am s- cannot quite figure out where the... Yeah, well, We'll talk about that later. Definitely. <laughs> At an- another day, but... Anyway, so obviously the point like we talked about in the show is to find one game, really dig into it and you know we're into November now and we've had the idea for this podcast for a couple a little over a month we've been kind of chucking away at it and trying to get all the logistics squared away and we've uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge, but I think we're obviously we're coming into it now. So we wanted to start with one of the games that uh, obviously something Max and I had both played uh we were both really passionate about and would have a lot uh, a lot of stuff to say about so we took uh the opportunity to dig into uh the 14 <laughs> year dormant franchise <laughs> of metroid <laughs> with the release of metroid dread on october 8th so uh i didn't get to play this game right at launch i was i started my vacation the day it came out and like i said Brutal. i have four kids so there's literally no way for me to even with a mobile Switch, I wasn't any, I wouldn't have any time to play, so um, but you better believe when I got back, that was the first thing I did was boot this up and I played the whole thing front to back, almost nonstop. so um, man, let's just jump into this game, I have so much to say about Metroid Dread, it was just absolutely just fantastic, but uh, before we do, if you haven't played Metroid, and this will be just the staple of the show, keep this in mind, we're going to be spoiling things we will probably be talking about some of the bigger spoilers in this. And as far as Metroid games go, this has probably the largest spoiler in the in the series. So, And we're probably going to talk about it. So you should probably just prepare yourself for that. And if you don't want to hear it, just tune out and check out the episode again later.
1: If you're one of those people who's listening to this podcast trying to figure out, like, you know, you're on the fence. hm ha, should I buy this game? Should I check it out? Go buy it. Go buy it, and then come back and listen to this episode. Fuck off for right now.
0: <laughs> and I I probably couldn't have said that any better. Like, after playing this game, even... I would have told you to buy it in the first place because I'm just a diehard <laughs> Metroid nut. Right. But, like, regardless, especially after playing it, if you have just any remote interest in playing anything like this game, just go buy it. it this is not a game that's, like... Well, is this a good entry in the franchise? It's like, this is arguably the entry in the franchise. Like go pick this game up. It's fantastic. So most definitely. Let's just start, I guess, just at the beginning here. Like so obviously, I mean, what did I say it was the, the obviously, uh, back in 2015, we got uh, Samus Returns, mm-hmm. the, the remake, which was arguably just a, a whole new game. Um, but I mean, it was the same story, but it, it was, it was a remake. So it's kind of hard to just brand that as like the net, the entry in Metroid. So, but before that, I mean, it had been, you know, they had Federation force, which also was not a Metroid game, even though they want to call it prime. Um, but the, <laughs> before that it was Metroid prime three, uh, which was, or sorry, other M, I guess you could say, which also what. I don't recognize that term, <laughs> dude. That game is trash. I'm sorry if you're out there and you liked Metroid Other M. I'm really sorry, but we're we just we're just gonna glaze over the fact that that came. I don't out. know. If, I don't know if I'd call that a hot take necessarily. <laughs> no, it is bad. This is bad all the way around. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I liked what they tried to do, in like breathing a lot of life into Samus's character, but they just overstepped that line by like in the first five minutes. So, and I think that Metroid Dread does that great, but we'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, point being that a Metroid Prime Three uh, Corruption was the last true entry in the Metroid storyline, and it was in twenty or two thousand and six, seven, seven, somewhere in there. yeah, yeah two thousand seven. So, I mean, we're coming up, it was 14, no, sorry, 13, no, 14, yeah, 14 years mm-hmm. that we've been waiting <laughs> for, a, for a arguably, Metroid Arguably, and here's what's really
1: fucked up, is arguably, you could say it's been longer than that because uh, all of the Prime games take place earlier in the Metroid timeline, which means that we haven't gotten, like, in a continuation of the story since Fusion, which was 2002.
0: Ugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's true, because uh, with Dread, it's interesting because they had started working on Dread and mm-hmm. I, I love Nintendo for this, or at least I should say the, the creator of of this story within Nintendo for this because they had started on it. And then they had said, we don't have the technology to pull off in a game what we want to do in Dread. So right. we're just going to throw it on the back burner. And 20-odd 20, 20 years later, they decided to revisit it. And then they just – what? They, it was almost like – it wasn't a shadow drop, obviously, but it it hit – they were like, hey, Dread's coming out. And it was like three months later. Yeah. So – which is like every Metroid fan out there was like, like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> yes. Like, this is exactly what we need. Um, And, you know, they, they know we're all waiting for Prime. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we want Prime 4. But honestly, like, just to start to dig into this game – I don't know. I think this is what I wanted. Like, top I'll, to bottom.
1: I'm glad you said that right up top, because I had the exact same reaction, where this felt like it was announced as kind of a consolation prize, because I guess Prime 4 is just an eternal holding pattern. Um, but what we got was such a, like, clear return to, like, Metroid's roots, and such a refinement of of the the um sort of system that they've put together or the platform that these got these games operate under um it it's a beautiful love letter i think to to the metroid series in general
0: yeah 100 100%, 100% i mean and it like and i guess this is where i want to start like digging into the like the specifics of the of the game because there's not a single aspect of this game in which i don't think that specific point you just made shines true like mm-hmm. it is, it is a, a love letter. I mean, in the the graphical presentation, and the mechanics, and the story, in the like the just every the core design, like e- every piece of it. So let's, I mean, let's just start there. I I because I don't like I said, I just I can't say enough good things about this. So um, again, spoiler alert. Moving forward, where we're gonna ruin some things. So let's talk about the story in this game, because mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's no. You know it's a Metroid game, so it's going to start the way that any Metroid game starts. There's something that happens on a planet. Samus has got to go to that planet. Lo and behold, five seconds after arriving on that planet, she's going to lose her powers. Now, this one wasn't the typical, you know, fly in and something gets fried and then you wake up and you're like, oh, God. Like, there was actually kind of a little bit of an intense moment right there at the at the get-go. Mm-hmm. Samus jumps off of her ship and, I mean... She gets tacked like right away. And this Nintendo goes like no hold here right away. I mean, this is the first time, man, I think pretty sure it's the first time there's like a living, breathing Chozo in the moment you start the game.
1: I think that's right. Yeah.
0: So and my I, favorite,
1: my favorite thing about the presentation of, of this, you know, the well-known trope of Samus in the first five minutes is going to lose all of her stuff. Um, you don't get to see that moment at first. Like, you have the cutscene at the beginning where Samus lands her ship, we get the title screen, fade in from black, Samus is on the ground and she's lost all her shit. As if Nintendo's saying, like, okay, so this happened, obviously. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that's a... They, in these types of games, it's such a a set design formula that they don't have to it's like when you watch a Batman movie; you yeah. don't need the story yet again in the beginning. You already know, so exactly. we all we all know what's going to happen. So they can they easily kind of glazed over it. And when I was playing, it was almost kind of interesting because I was I had that moment where I was like, "Did she just have a dream?" Mm-hmm. Or what happened? And then it, the um, Adam kind of steps in and is like, "Hey, this is what's taking place. You have got attacked. Now you need your powers and all this kind of stuff." And it was. It's kind of a. It was pretty. Uh, like I said, I thought it was going to be on more on the nose, but like, and you're going to hear me say this a lot with tonight when it comes to, in regards to Metroid Dread. I mean, the way that they presented the story up front, it doesn't do everything too much, and it's nothing new. It just does it just right, mm-hmm. like just the right amount of of nuance in the story. And throughout the game, you'll actually notice it's kind of a reoccurring theme. Whenever you have a a two D Game like this, especially in Metroidvania, where there's a lot of backtracking and, and reusing the same environments over and over again, um, especially for, you know, you have these large areas to where all have to have the same uh, thematic design and music elements that kind of tie the whole er- areas together. You're going to sure. get a lot of um, too much story and too many cut scenes like that can take you out of the world that you're in. Agreed. And this, and this game does such a great job of keeping the, the cutscenes short, concise, a lot of it, detailed information. And it goes mm-hmm. so well with Samus's ability to process information and with just the limited facial expressions you get from her, tell the player what they need to understand from what's happening. I think that's absolutely right. You know, this is something that I
1: think is unique among Nintendo series. Um, the Metroid series learns from itself. And we've already touched on, you know, in Other M, and even in Metroid Fusion to a certain extent, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of very talky cutscenes, or uh, in Other M, it's a lot of text dumps when elevator rides, and that's how they kind of get the story across. And in Fusion, it really felt like they learned, we don't really need all of that. You know, we have very quick, snappy cutscenes, and then most of uh, Samus's personality is conveyed either by, like you were saying, Michael, um, fairly, yeah, very, very expressive, um, up scenes of her face. And then the rest is just through, um, her actions. And what a badass she is.
0: That's true. Yeah. And there, I mean, her body language the entire time too is just like...
1: It's, it's charisma. It's, she gives off such like a sense of competency and, um confidence you know it's impossible not to be on board yeah we've we've talked a lot about what is your all-in moment on a game what was the moment that made you think like okay yeah this is my shit right here and for me it's the cutscene uh right before the kraid boss battle um and there's this great shot of kraid kind of screaming down at samus as she very calmly stares back at him and fires up a charge shot and just has it holding her arm cannon down to the side. Oh, it looks so
0: good. <laughs> uh, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about all in moments, I mean, I th- I think mine actually came a little bit later on and cause like, it's hard for me to uh, pick a moment where I was like, dude, I'm all in, <laughs> I'm all in on this. Right. But like the moment where at like my heart was like pumping and I just like super got right in line with Samus. It had to have been, and I, I don't want to, because I want to, I want to talk about it a little bit later. But the point in time where she points the arm cannon at Adam, like right near the end of the game, and oh, I was yeah. just like, "Dude, I had like my adrenaline was thumping." And it, it's so weird because, like, I know Max and I played this game like differently. Max mm-hmm. played, f- you played fully on TV, right? I did, yeah. And you played with a, a full pro controller, right? Hmm. Okay, so I played this game full handheld with Joy Cons. Which we'll we'll talk about the mechanics of the game later. So like to understand why that's such a, a difference um, in the play styles <laughs> for this entire. I was game. gonna ask, are you okay? <laughs> I I had some challenges with some of these bosses, far far more than Max did, um, I'm sure. But uh, just to just to get back to the story. So I mean, it, it's pretty it's pretty rudimentary Zelda or Zelda. I'm sorry, it's pretty rudimentary Metroid. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way this Again, this story in Metroid Dread does something that other Metroids, I think, have been too scared to do. And Maybe it's not scared is the right word, but they've been they've been dancing around the Chozo race for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And it, it was such a mysterious thing that they knew they had to do it just right or else it would be awful. Kind of like how Metroid uh, Other M did. They did so many things in that game that if they hadn't have perfectly executed them, they would have fallen or they did fall flat. flat.
1: I still don't think there's a game that's called that, but yeah, if there was,
0: (laughs) Um, but with, and I think with this game, it, it was the, the idea of the minimalism because in dread, there's only two, two living, breathing Chozo. Mm -hmm. And both of them have uh, arguably a, a really small role in the game, but the implications of those characters are just so massive. And then we, you know, we start talking back about, you know, how Samus handled those. And that makes this game so much more robust and just the way her character and aura and her charisma uh, defines those things. But kind of the breakdown of the story here is Samus is told that there's this creature that attacked her. It was this Chozo. What was his name? Ravenbeak or something? Ravenbeak okay yeah i nailed that i'm so proud of myself it's according been... to adam
1: he has an eight pack <laughs> uh,
0: so this raven beak is a chozo and then you are approached by eventually this other chozo that tells you um what i can you can you give like an overview of the story if you have it off the top of your head because i'm gonna yeah. i'm a blanket on some of the specific
1: no 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 details. totally um have you ever heard of an indie movie called The Empire Strikes Back?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indie film, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: it's it's <laughs> I like obscure movies for listeners that don't know. I'm kind of a film buff. <laughs> Get Brian. Um, <wrecked>, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so what the what the story basically focuses around is an exploration of of Chozo culture and how there are all these different factions. uh, And there was one particularly warlike tribe that was led by this dude named Ravenbeek, who it also turns out uh, was Samus's surrogate father. So this story is a confrontation that has huge implications for uh, the game universe in general because Chozo are an incredibly powerful race, and this is the first time we get to see it. Um, and it's a very personal story for Samus herself, who has to confront an actual living, breathing member of her family.
0: Yeah. And I know, like, that alone is also, like, a it's, that's huge. Um, but if you've played Fusion, again, this is an extension of that story to where uh, Samus had eliminated all the Parasite X and mm-hmm. she was sent to Planet ZDR because there was video footage of an X that they were like, "This has to be fake." But we're gonna send Samus because she, since she's been infected before, she's now immune. Um, so well, no, hang on.
1: Well, first, we're gonna send seven robots who yeah, definitely true. won't be corrupted. <laughs>
0: The uh, very obtusely named extraplanetary multi-form mobile identifiers. Come on, Nintendo. How, so, how, yeah, I, I really think this is a case where they were like, "We're gonna name them Emmys, and then we're gonna figure out what that means." Instead of the other way around, we're gonna
1: take a couple <laughs> of weeks. We'll get in the boardroom. We'll hash this out. I can't <laughs> believe that you pulled <laughs> off what Emmy stands for. Uh,
0: I have some notes. I will say that. So that's not that one's not entirely. Uh, So if anyone's listening, I wrote a Metroid Dread review. I was proud of it. Uh, And so, like, whenever I was writing that out, I was like, the whole time I was like, should I explain what this is? Because (laughs) I feel like the name itself drops the review a little bit. Like, (laughs) typing that out inside the context of the review makes my review shittier than it really seems. Um, But, yeah, they were sent there because they could supposedly extract the DNA from anything with their giant spear face. Mm-hmm. Um, just to try to figure out what was going on, but they lost contact with those. Surprise, surprise. So then they sent in Samus, um, who they
1: promptly lose contact with.
0: <laughs> exactly. It's just, I don't know if they're ever going to learn their lesson. I Obviously heard. not. The Federation, the, Galactic Federation sucks.
1: They're just bad at their jobs. <laughs> every one of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's not a single. Uh, we could we could have a whole other podcast on. What, like the failures of uh, every faction in metroid <laughs> the most
1: dysfunctional galactic government ever put in fiction
0: <laughs> I mean, you guys you guys have seen Empire Strikes back, right? It's
1: worse than that. <laughs> the galaxy is huge. There's no way that they can put it all on one person every time there's a problem.
0: you're not wrong is is samus ever, the only other time samus finds other bounty hunters, I mean, she ends up killing them all, so. oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so Samus uh, instructed by the ship's computer tells her that she has to, um, after she gets attacked, has to find her way back to the surface and then get back to her ship so she can escape. Um, But she's told all these enemies have been reprogrammed to now look for her uh, because she has the uh, X DNA in her because they were there hunting the X. Now they're hunting her. Mm -hmm. Um, So... So as she's there, she, you know, she swoops through, she finds the other uh, Chozo who his name, I don't, uh, Quiet Robe, um, saves her from the first Emmy, I believe it is. And then they, he's the one that explains the whole story with the different factions and what Raven Beak is up to and kind of guides the Samus to, from that point on where she needs to go. And this is where I'd like to kind of break from the story and talk about like the game design here. This is like—I feel like when I was playing other Metroid games, if I left an area in Metroid Prime, per per se, Mm -hmm. there were definitively times where I would have to go back if I wanted some power-ups and things. But it felt like I had to run through it. Sure. This was probably the only Metroid game that I've played where I felt like I was forced to— and just with all the love and care in the world, because I did not feel like it was too much at all, uh, forced to return to environments and really get intimate with the enemies there, the bosses that were there, the like the music, just everything felt so complete everywhere I went, and it was just beautiful. Like I can't say enough good things about that. I
1: absolutely agree. And here's one of the things about the level design and the game design in general um, that I think is so brilliant. They got away from using waypoints. I mean, you can put down waypoints yourself, but um, in games like Fusion or um, in uh, Zero Mission, uh, the last 2D like Metroid games to really come out, um, they would put a dot on your map, and mm-hmm. your whole goal was, how do I get from point A to point B? They didn't need to do that in this game, and I think there's a couple of like, really clever tricks that they use to avoid that. First, like you said, there's a frame story here, which is you are at the bottom level of the planet. Your ship is at the top. You need to get back to the ship. And that frames your entire, like, frame of reference for this game. It's like, okay, ship is up. I need to go up somehow. Um, The second thing that they do is very, very gently train you to get a sense of like, okay, once I get a new power-up, how far should I really be looking for new areas that I can access? Um, mm-hmm. And I think a really good example of that is the first time you go into uh, Cateris, the, the big lava uh, level, and you fire up uh, a set of doors that are powered by what looks like magma, something like that, you know, the big pipes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, so you get a big glowing pipe, right? And you can use that and basically follow it to your next destination. Yeah. Cool. That gives you a sense of like, okay, generally when I get something new, I'm going to go from here to here. And then they drop it. You don't have to do that again, but you don't need to because you've learned like that's about as big as the the level that I'm going to need to progress through is.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's like when Nintendo created this and I think that's a, that's a great example because I haven't talked to anyone. Now I've talked to a, a, a bunch of people that, from all different like varieties of like uh, I guess I should say game lives. So mm-hmm. like I'm obviously a big Metroid fan, but I've pl- I've talked to a ton of people who this was their first Metroid game they've ever played, and they had a blast traversing through the maps. They had, and that just speaks to the volumes of how like if the game, I, like kind of like Inception, if the game can put that idea in your head, yeah, and 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 plant it there. No matter how familiar you are with how a Metroidvania game works, I mean they've done their job and they did it. They did it well, absolutely. And, that, and that's, that's why I keep. That's why I keep saying about these. This game. I mean, it does what it does perfectly, and it doesn't. Like, it's just a great, great, like environment. It's perfect. I think
1: good level design in a game can make you look at it and go, "Oh, that's really clever." Great level design here gives you the chance to feel clever
0: mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think that like even can just the continuity of that point inversely there were a, it wasn't that straightforward for me every time and obviously mm-hmm. when I finally found the correct path I was like oh my god how did I miss that Right. but in so many times I could think of three examples like just right off the top of my head outside of the fucking shine spark uh, <laughs> not, not gonna talk about that shit right now Uh, it's too, too, too sensitive, too sensitive. (laughs) Um, anyway, I could think of just a few examples to where I was a little bit lost and I was like, okay, I'm not sure where to go. Let me backtrack a little bit. And even when I didn't go the right way, I stumbled upon an energy cell or a portion of one. I stumbled upon some missiles and it felt good. Yeah. It felt like the game was rewarding me, not just for searching, but for looking for the right path. The game obviously was going to reward me for looking for those power-ups, but it was rewarding me for making the mistake of enjoying the level. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that it goes, like, especially I could think of this, Metro Prime 1 was probably where I felt this the most was I felt like if I wanted to enhance my abilities or get energy cells or power-ups, it felt like a chore at re-exploring some of those areas that were already really difficult to, you know, I, like the finander drifts or i forget what they're exactly called yeah such a pain in the ass to find your way out of that area and the thought of going back to it to find like missile upgrades or energy cells like it hurt my soul yeah but this game i had no problem even leaving an area entirely i was totally fine with just jumping on the the train and leaving all together and it, it just felt totally okay just to just to slip away and explore. And it always found a brilliant way to bring you back. Just like, i will harken back to something you said, just keep going back up. If you need yeah. to know where to go, keep going back up. And it's just a subtle idea that you don't even realize that you understood just because the game just so subtly places it on you and just lets you do your thing.
1: It's brought up once at the beginning where that's like, you know, it almost feels like it's saying like, okay, objective one, get to the top. And you don't realize that that's a goal that's going to stick with you throughout the entire game.
0: Yeah, and I think that Adam being a computer, just to not to interrupt, but just to touch on that point again, yeah. a lot of the times when you get back to Samus, Adam being that computer, quote unquote, in Samus's ship or Samus's head mm-hmm. is telling you primary objective still remains the same, get to your ship. But it doesn't feel like it's like, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this. It right. feels natural in the way that like a computer would say, your objective is this. Mm-hmm. And they have a different way to frame that every time that she talks to the to Adam at the save point or the, the objective point, I should say, um, that it, it just makes it feel really natural and just subtly just instills the idea. It's like, hey, you're on the right way. And by the way, you're talking to me, which means you're also progressing the right way. Yeah. So... And it does it without
1: being overly obvious or, or feeling kind of handholdy, which is what I think a couple of the later, uh, 2d Metroid games would sometimes fall into, um, where, you know, you're being led by the nose from point to point to point around the map. And like, they kind of had to do that because traversal was really hard in that game. And, and, you know, I don't think the map layout was nearly as intuitive as it is here. Um, but to your point, uh, something that you said earlier about how it felt good to leave one area and go back to another, I think a big part of that is just that movement and traversal in this game is so fluid and so fast and just feels incredible. I love the gameplay here. You know, I think Mercury Stream knocked it out of the park with Metroid Returns by adding a lot of mobility and and... Uh, more control over Samus's shooting direction and things like that and seeing all of that brought over to this game I I think is a huge success
0: yeah and like this is probably I mean I'll go as far as to say this was these are the tightest controls in a game I've probably ever played Mm -hmm. like and I like I've played games that have had a more satisfying like grasp like I mean Ghost of Tsushima with the Playstation 5 controller had some really satisfying Feels and tactile feedback but this was like by far for for the controller that i held and again i played it entirely differently than you did mm-hmm. and we both had an experience that was phenomenal and that tells goes to show that like it's not the controller it nintendo designed this game to be tight they designed it to be uh, every movement that you that you feel every movement that you make every every gunfire, every jump every i mean if you make a mistake you know you know where you made the mistake you know why you moved one direction versus the other every i mean literally every body movement samus has is utterly intentional and not only does that make you realize how tight the controls are but it puts you so much more just in samus's head like if Every movement, if every if there's that even that slightest break in the fluidity between your controls and Samus, it can take you away from that. You don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. But like, and that's why I think that we're so, as the players are so enamored with Samus's personality, and I think it's because we're so connected with her by how tightly this game controls. Because the more you control that character, the tighter that feels, the greater your your bond with that with that. Uh, character is and i think that nintendo has always been the one company that really hits home with that and i mean you find that in like i mean they literally named link link because he's the link between the player and the character and i think that that's something that just carried over just so naturally and unintentionally with the controls and how tight they are in this game
1: yeah it's not something you think about but it's definitely there i agree and the nice thing about it too is that it feels very intuitive from the moment, like from the moment you start playing this game. But they still manage to have a sense of mastery to it, where as you gain more abilities and as you were asked to do more complex, um, almost parkour sections to get some of the harder to reach uh, uh, missile pods and and things like that. Y- you you get the sense that you're getting better at controlling this character as the game goes on. Um, and climbing that curve was incredibly satisfying.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I, love that the, like the way that they present Samus's new abilities and the way that Sam, how Samus uses those abilities after they get them, because obviously anytime you get a new ability, you ha- usually have to use it to get out of an area, mm. but it is never like overtly obtuse. It's always like, hey, there's definitely this new ability, but don't forget about everything else. Right. Like the game does, like in other Metroid games, definitely. and I, I know Metroid Prime 2 was a good example of this. You get a new beam and then literally every door in every area turns into that beam. And it's like, it's harder to do in a 3D world than it is in um, in a 2D world because a door becomes a staple of the edge of each environment as opposed to in a 3d world, it just becomes part of the layout Um, and much less, uh, much less the focus. But with these 2d games, every door, every wall, every barrier, you know, if the power bomb even, I mean, becomes such an integral part of your your repertoire, because like I don't know how many times, like I'm stuck, I'm just going to use a power bomb and it's going to show me <laughs> what's next. Like, I mean, right. did you I, did you do that? Like where you were like I need I need to find a block. I'm just going to use the power bomb and it's going to tell me what I need to do.
1: What I love about that is that they included an ability in this game, basically to say like Hey, stop wasting your power bombs here." Just,
0: <laughs> they, just they did, just, and I never used it. <laughs> I was a power bomb slut, man. Like <laughs> every, I had never had them because I was just always using them. Because not only did it just kill everything around me, right? Most of the times the uh, the things that I got back from the dead enemies usually refilled my power bombs anyway. So it would it, it. I'm not mad about it, <laughs> <laughs> but I I'd, I'd found those the abilities you got from uh, I guess I could I don't I don't know what those were called like the phasing abilities or. Um, I forgot the word for those words, yeah,
1: they're named after the resource that you use to to uh, use them, but I can't remember the name of it,
0: yeah, but if you if you're listening it's like the you know you phase shift and then you know the shine spark and like all those abilities those are all uh in addition, you get to from like the area i I found myself less attached to those abilities and more attached to samus's natural abilities and I think that that's intentional as well because that also tells the player it's like these were Samus's primary abilities that she had natively and she was very comfortable with them mm-hmm. these other abilities were things she picked up from her environment and she's adapting and I found myself slowly as the game went on adapting to utilizing them more especially the phase shift in midair when you're fighting some of these bosses absolutely crucial oh yeah because uh, just to kind of <laughs> to shift the conversation the bosses and enemies in this Metro game, I mean, I could be wrong, but in my opinion, arguably the most ferocious, the fastest, and the most intense enemies in a Metroid franchise. Oh, they do a Metroid game. They don't fuck around, and they hit hard. Oh, um, yeah, dude. So it's <laughs> ridiculous. Some of those bosses, especially, I think the 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 boss that gave you the most challenge wasn't even the final boss. It was the golden chosen, or... Uh, was it a chozo warrior? It was a chozo warrior, yeah. Yeah, that golden chozo warrior, which is the mini boss before the final boss, that mm-hmm. thing killed me probably 60 times. Like it beat my ass. And this, it hit for like 180 to oh, 200 yeah. damage every hit. Just two tanks gone every time. Yep. Absolutely and brutal. That, and that was that there was that was the boss where I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go I'm <laughs> this run's turning into a 100% run because I need every <laughs> bit of resources in my arsenal, but it was also the boss that made me realize again, how much I needed to focus on tightening up how I play this game. Right. Because every time I got hit, I would go, Oh my God, I failed this. And if I, I just kept getting hit in the same spots with the same attacks. And that forced me to realize, and it doesn't matter if I have 15 energy tanks or if I have five, I'm going to die here (laughs) because I'm not good at what I'm doing. So Forced me to tighten up my control scheme. The game is so good at the controls that it made me realize exactly what I was doing wrong. And then I feel like I I benefited greatly from the game nudging me in that subtle way. Hey, you can go get we, we're allowing some flexibility in your character to go find these other things to make yourself more powerful. But we're also going to tell you, by the way, it doesn't matter. You're gonna get fucked on regardless <laughs> if you don't tighten up the way you're playing this game.
1: Yeah your point to say that like these new abilities that sam is getting are are um what she's using to adapt to her environment i think that's a great point and i hadn't considered it that way but i'm realizing now that the majority of times that i was using those uh was in the rooms with the emmy um mm-hmm. when you're being hunted and you need to either have you know the the camouflage options that, that turning invisible gives you or the evasive options that something like phase shifts gives you, um, you know. There are also times when I was using the scan just to figure out like quick escape routes and things like that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really good point, and that's probably intentional um, to to show that this is what Samus now needs to do to survive. That's why these feel so different. This isn't really a power dynamic that she's had to deal with before.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that. Just to touch on that point a little further, as far as the the power dynamic um the way that those abilities just feel so unnatural to use, I think <laughs> that obviously that was intentional, but also just plays so well into the the dread factor of this game, yeah, like I know that I'm not trying to make a pun here, but man, like that there were moments like when those things were chasing me, they were inches from my ass, and I was, like, shaking. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, it was, like, whenever, like, I don't know if you ever played Outlast. Oh, yeah. uh, I had that same feeling, like, whenever I was being chased and I couldn't attack, it couldn't do anything, because, like, and I think that Nintendo, regardless, you know, as much as we like to uh, allow them to feign ignorance, they really do pay attention to the market and what's hot and what's popular so they can look at that mechanic and go, that's what's, there's a lot of uh, things we can learn, from allowing the player to just be weak against its its attacker and running is a viable option in this game and man they i applaud nintendo so hard for this but the ability to just allow your character to run use the environment use your maneuverability mechanics that you have obtained to just try to outmaneuver and outplay an enemy that has just the only objective is to get as close to you as possible. That is just that it is an A plus move and that like they've never done this before. And I honestly hope they never do it again because it's going to be pretty easy to tell that it's copy and paste.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I
0: I was scared to death at a few points that they they nailed those sections.
1: Something that I really, really just a small detail about the, the Emmy sections that I appreciated. Um, What we were talking about earlier where, you know, Nintendo's very aware of how to create a bond between you and the character or to help you embody this character more. And one of the best things they did was give you a chance to survive uh, being captured by an Emmy. When you have that Mm, one moment to to counter. Yeah. It's so perfect. One, because it keeps you engaged and doesn't feel like everything, like all hope is lost, even if you're caught you're going to keep fighting until the very end. And I think that is such a good representation of who Samus is.
0: Oh, Um, man, you're so right. That
1: is such a good point. Like, it's just such a good choice. And it's a small thing, and you're going to fail it 90% of the time anyway. But you're going to hit that (laughs) button every time.
0: That game tells you, too. that like You have a 99% chance of death yeah. if that thing touches you. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would go on little streaks to where, it'd like, I'd hit three in a row and be like, yes. And it almost felt like the game was adapting to, like, the the timing would always change yeah. every time. And I felt like I would get it down and be like, yes. And the next time it would catch me and I'd be like, fuck, and I would just <laughs> die. And I was like, I nailed that. I know I did. But, again, it just goes back to, like, Samus... And like your, like you said, your relation to the character and how they really put you in that moment to be as on edge and as Samus would be. Mm-hmm. And I, like, that's such a good point. I had not thought about that. I'm so happy you brought that up. I agree 100%. That is, that is a great point.
1: Yeah, it, it was just, it's one of the small details about this game that I think uh, there's a million of them. And I'm sure I missed most of them
0: where the game <laughs> is very
1: subtly like blurring the line between you and the character. Um hundred yeah, percent if if they were gonna do something like the Emmys again, um I agree they shouldn't. but if they did, <laughs> it would be interesting to see something hunting you that was a little bit more free roaming. I think having the Emmys locked off in certain rooms definitely mm. it 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 made you know, it feel it felt more focused and that these areas were built around sight lines and giving you a lot of options but how much scarier would it be if you could at any moment in any room wander in and have to deal with one of these things
0: oh yeah i mean it's almost like the sax and fusion yeah. like it could just be walking through and it's like oh my god like this thing is going to kill me now yeah but i mean that thing also had a pretty limited range but does to have something like that or even a normal enemy that was just that it, it was a it was a death sentence to Mm -hmm. like come up against this thing would make a metroid game into something that i i mean that would be pretty intense and i'm not sure if i would want that in a in a 3d environment either because it's it it loses a lot of its fear factor agreed whenever you you have to turn around you can't see it and and there's like obviously a lot of those games like outlast for instance utilize that mechanic in a way that's completely different but the the joy of a metroid prime game is an Open third-person environment, and that would be you know those tight spaces that make that kind of thrill function just don't work in a Metroid game. Like the Metroid Prime doesn't function in a in between hallways and between doors. It it shines in those big open areas where there's a lot of dungeon-like aspects.
1: I think that's true. Yeah, Metroid Prime games I think are focused around a much sort of slower exploration. Uh, And more methodical where you can really take everything in. That might be why it's more of a pain to go from, uh, you know, section to section in a game like Metroid Prime. You move slower and traversal is slower as opposed to this game where traversal is lightning fast.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, just to jump back into a little bit of the story of the game, so um, which obviously is opening up a lot of conversations, so I'm, I'm hoping it continues to do so. So eventually, uh, Samus vows to stop Ravenbeak, and then Quiet Robe says, awesome, thank you, and opens up a new area, and then Ravenbeak assassinates Robe. Mm-hmm. so... That kind of starts the the next section of the game where Samus actually does encounter the X parasites, and then accidentally releases them on the rest of the planet. And then the X are now back, very in a very similar fashion to when that happens in um, Fusion. And then every enemy turns into an X parasite. But also, like the game gets harder from then on out. Oh yeah. But also, there's more health and items and recovery or recoverability from that point on because the X parasites when they die, they Samus can absorb them. And I feel like there's a great balance there. So the game, while it gets harder, gives you the ability to recover easier, which is another great element that the game has. So it's like, yes, you're challenged heavier, but if you can survive and beat these enemies, you're going to be fine. Yeah. it It was a good design choice.
1: There's a great element of risk reward, uh, turning all the enemies into into ex parasites because if you don't deal with an enemy after you've killed them and absorb the the parasite it can reconstitute into another enemy or join with a different enemy to create something that's harder to deal with um yeah so i think that balancing that out with more plentiful resources is a good choice and ups the tension without it feeling completely unfair
0: yeah, I had I touched on this in the review that I wrote, but that was something I really liked about this game was that there wasn't there wasn't a single like every environment obviously is just it has just such a sense of robust creativity to it, and every enemy feels so natural in that environment whether you're in your like a. You're in, like, a a lab environment or, like, a steampunky, like, mixture or just, like, a a flat-out, like, foresty environment. Every enemy feels so good. Mm -hmm. And then the ability to go back and add the X-Parasite and make all those enemies again but weirder and cooler. Yeah. Like, Nintendo, like, there. I didn't feel like there was any enemy that was, like, that's just a blatant copy-paste of this. Like, everything felt new, felt fresh, and it, it really kept you so engaged. In the world and like the 2D, I'm gonna start gushing about the environment in this game again. <laughs> the 2D world in this game was the closest to not feeling like a 2D world in any game I've ever played. Like I know I was on a 2D plane the whole time, but like it did not feel like it. I, the world was just so maneuverable.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of that is done um with some really clever camera tricks during cutscenes, and the the camera will actually just spin around and show a sense of depth um, Mm. that you wouldn't normally get from a flat plane plane or even when you use the um the the scanning ability that sends out this pulse that uh, Mm. like this kind of sonar pulse from samus it extends in every direction so you can see it go into the background and come back so it's expanding in like a sphere and really gives a sense of space that i think is really cool
0: yeah Oh, man i ca- i cannot say enough good things about the the environment in this level or this game i mean on top of like the level design the the music is so good and i this was like this was a point that was like hugely amazing cuz i obviously played this thing completely handheld mm-hmm. and i know i keep talking about the, that how we played this differently but the i played on the the switch oled i was lucky enough to snag one at launch somehow i just Got one at Best Buy. Keep bragging. <laughs> I I'm I just logged on and it was there. I don't know why. Nye, 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 nye. Whatever. <laughs> Tell your story. <laughs> um, the difference, I, I had my old Switch there too, and I booted it up. The difference in the audio, and I'm so glad I played this handheld just for this reason, because like I have a system in my living room that would have been great. I have a, a little cheapy surround sound system, mm-hmm. so it would have sounded really good. But I wanted to experience this, like, in two ways. I wanted to experience this handheld, so I tried it here. Man, the soundscape, when I played, if you know anything about me, you know Metroid Prime 2 Echoes is one of my favorite games of all time. And the soundscape in that game that really just slaps me in the face is the Torvis Bog soundscape. It's just so cool, that weird energy vibe that it gives off and it's really like the rain compliments it really well mm-hmm. and like I would walk into areas in that game especially Torvis Bog and I would just sit the controller down and I would just let let it play in the background while I did other things because it's, so, it's just such a cool sound Metroid Dread I never had a moment like that but that is not a damning thing sure it everything kept me playing it kept me so engaged that I never felt like it was something I needed to stop and pay attention to and that just shows to show how like the music was so influential in pushing me to continue. It had a of a, a nuance and a a cadence to it that kept me flowing and with Samus and kept me moving in a way that was like the world is progressing and it's moving around you. Just because you stop doesn't mean everything else does. And I think the music was just so integral into making me feel that and telling me. I mean, I think if the music had changed even it was different even slightly then there would have been times where I'd be like, okay, I can pause this and put this down. I think that that was just one thing that was just so subtle that just made me keep playing. I'm so
1: glad you said something. Because when I was you know, putting together thoughts for for this, uh, one of the things I was thinking about was like, I don't really remember a lot of the music. I knew I was good. And like if I really keyed into it, I would like it. Um, so I looked up the soundtrack on YouTube. And the first thing that I thought was like, all of these songs are way faster than I remember. And like, I think that's getting to your point where it's a driving beat and it's always pushing you forward and like Mm -hmm. keeping the tension really high. And it's amazing that it does that without being completely in your face. You know, it's that's going to be the story of this game really is so many small details that are done so well that you won't be able to pick them out if you're not looking for them.
0: Uh, Yeah, uh, 100%. And I think that, like, that sentiment, like you said, I mean, it it just applies to literally everything we've talked about. Because, I mean, if you go back and listen to this again, I mean, we haven't touched on a single mechanic that's groundbreaking. We've just touched on things that are just done perfectly well. And, like, every other game out there has something that, like, really makes it stand out. But, I mean, tell me another game that where every single portion of it just hits it right on the head. Uh, you can't I mean you're gonna there there are great games out there there are better games out there but nothing is so far this year nothing has really just rounded itself out and just made such an impact on how I feel about games like this is this is perfect like it's really good <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely no I, I completely agree with that does it like have a huge groundbreaking new idea no what it does do is eliminates any sort of weak point there's no Huge annoyances. There's nothing to like rebalance. I think the difficulty curve is perfect, where it's accessible but still mm-hmm. challenging. I uh, this is for what we want to do with this podcast. This is the perfect game to start out with because I legitimately have no criticisms.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean you're you're not wrong, and I, I so I had asked Roger what his one of his criticisms with, and he had he had mentioned it was the difficulty, and I would. I like we talked about, I would retort and I bumped up the same thing. I mean, I would probably venture to say that, and I I know Roger beat the game, I probably had a harder time with that boss than he did. Like, Mm -hmm. I died so many times. But, I mean, I was able to recognize, after a few deaths, exactly what my issue was, and I went out and I did those jumps and imagined that that was happening in that moment, and I made those maneuvers and mastered that one specific aspect, and the ability to play that battle through in my head and know exactly what mechanic it was that made me fail is i mean that just tells you how tightly the game was made not just in the controls but in every aspect to really award the player for taking the time to learn what what your issues are so i mean to the complaint of uh difficulty i would say you know just take the time to really learn the game and the game's game is going to reward you for that. Yeah. Difficulty gets easier as you take the time to learn it.
1: And I think that's a great point that one of the best things about the design is, is that, you know, exactly when you fucked up. Um, it's always glaringly obvious, you know, no boss has a move that's completely unavoidable. And it's generally pretty obvious what you need to do. Doing it is hard, but you're never lost for, like, how do I beat this guy? You know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And that that's, just not, that's not just, like, a, any boss. And some games have attacks where it's, like, you just have to get hit or... You can just tank your way through You cannot tank your way through any boss in this game. No. You cannot just stand in one spot and get cheap shots until you win. You have to maneuver. You have to utilize Samus' abilities in the way that like that, you've discovered and the way that the game has trained you to use them throughout the level. And just go back through and play, play through some of the areas if you're having troubles with a boss because each area teaches you subtly how to utilize your abilities in a way that will make the boss a little easier if you're really paying attention yeah so that's that's a Metroid game
1: (laughs) (laughs) something that we've talked about a lot is um, the concept of meeting a game where it is Um, and by that I mean recognizing what the game wants to accomplish or what it expects from you and rather than you know working against that trying to to participate in that conversation so you're right every area i think is trained on getting you to engage with these mechanics to use the tools that the game has given you um and and boss battles work as a test of how well you've mastered those abilities as as they should that's what a boss fight should be um you know i i think it's incredibly well designed in that regard
0: yeah absolutely um so just to just to round out the story here. So after Ravenbeak beat kills um, Quiet Robe, he reactivates the Emmys, which had been previously deactivated, um, which I'm not going to. I was so happy whenever he deactivated the Emmys. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I can just travel these areas. I can use this as a chance to go through and get those items if I was missing anything, which plot twist. I didn't <laughs> because before I knew it, they were back active and I ended up having to to fight those things again. Um, but, um, so sh- at this point is when the game kind of goes a different direction. Eventually, as you're moving through, still trying to get back to your ship, uh, there's a part where Adam, you go into one of the control stations, and this is the part I was talking about earlier that really I was like, hundred percent just like balls deep into this game and i was like that was i'm pretty sure i messaged you and i was like that was the most fucking badass thing because like going back to not just how cool it was but going back to that connection you feel with samus mm-hmm. i forget what it was that at or that uh yeah adam was telling you to do that adam is like very adamant about she's like he's she's very like, to, adamant i hate you and we're done that's fair <laughs> um there's something that adam was like you have to do this and he was pushing it on It's really hard like you have to it wasn't like destroy the planet or it's like you have to like end it or kill yourself I don't, I don't know really if know it was kill was.
1: yourself or surrender to raven beak or something like that but yeah it was he, it he was kinda, something that just he drops the ahead. charade at at a, at a certain point
0: <laughs> yeah and it's like at the at a moment You were like you're standing there and this computer system that you've trusted up to this point. And it's interesting because if you're if you're into the Metroid franchise, there's a bond, a relationship between Adam and Samus. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a, a father son or father daughter kind of relationship that they've established and metroid other m that we still don't acknowledge <laughs> uh tries to really hit on that but i think it fails in a lot of ways but metroid fusion does it really well it, it really dives into that relationship and because uh, a lot of the scenes when you're in the elevators and fusion really you know it goes on to samus's face and like has the dialogue of what she's thinking um she takes but there's a, there's
1: Sorry, she takes every elevator ride in that game to, like, write in her diary for a couple of pages, <laughs> and that's basically how the story is presented. It's not elegant, but it is a great story, so, like, you know, no harm, no foul, I think.
0: <laughs> it is... I, I love it, but... And, and that's the thing about the Metro games. I mean, the, it's subtle story. Maybe that's just the thing I like. It's just a really subtle story with really limited information that I really have to piece together. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about more games like that later, I'm sure. Um, but point the point i'm trying to make is that this relationship is already complicated and then you get into this moment to where it gets a little commanding and you see that like we were talking about that charismatic shift mm-hmm. in samus's behavior and in my head in that moment why this this adam this computer is telling her do this do it do it do it and i'm like dude just shut the fuck up <laughs> like shoot th- shoot this thing i'm like just do it already and it was like as i was thinking that Samus, for some reason, even though I was thinking it, it still felt so out of character, but also so in character. Samus shoots the computer and blows it up. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm done with you. And lo and behold, controlling the computer this entire time and directing Samus's actions was Ravenbeak. Plot twist, or I should say spoiler. Uh, So the whole time, Ravenbeak had been manipulating Samus to release the X because... As you come to find out, do we, Do we want to just spoil this? Because this, it's kind of a big...
1: If you've gotten cut. to this point and you haven't been spoiled <laughs> on this game, which means you have made it through most of the game and stopped at the final boss and decided, I'm going to listen to this podcast <laughs> real quick. I want you to know I love you, but you should skip ahead <laughs> to the end because we're about to talk about everything.
0: Yeah, so um, at this point, it's unveiled that Samus since she has the X, Parasite, and she has Metroid DNA, that she is the last remaining Metroid. Her Metroid DNA has went into overdrive, and she is now 100% a Metroid. Dun-dun-dun. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, you play this franchise and it's like the whole time were they leading up to this was this the ultimate goal because the game has been called metroid this whole time and it's been what i mean 20 25 26 years and since this franchise started were they really planning this twist for 25 years this would be like finding out that link's name is actually zelda yeah yeah (laughs) That's that's exactly what it would be like all those uh, people
1: that confused it for so long they were right in the end because how many times has like a casual person referred to the main character of this game as metroid and it turns yeah. out they were fucking right
0: and i hate i hate that <laughs> yeah. i hate everything about it it's but a also, good joke like,
1: i'll give it to you
0: but <laughs> and i didn't find myself like loving that arc but i also found myself like how did i not see that coming mm-hmm. at all like it was and it it didn't feel like a slap in the face as a metroid fan either it because it like it just makes sense i mean there was the whole mother brain you know in super metroid and the way that it gets attached to you and the, the baby metroid right and there was i mean with the x parasite attaching it to itself and you being resistant to that and then the x parasite and the metroid having that kind of a tussle as far as like uh what, who's bigger on the food chain as far from a storyline perspective sure and then this happens and it almost like, I don't know how I didn't see it coming. I really don't. <laughs> and I, so <laughs> I, do you have anything else to say on that point? Or, um, it, it, It's a weird concept. Ahead. And because
1: this comes so late in the game, it's hard to see what the implications of this are. I'm excited to see what it is going forward. Um, But I think that Metroids have always been so respected within the lore and so unanimously feared it makes sense that samus would inherit this title i mean they talk a lot about how metroid in the chozo language translates to ultimate warrior and who better can fit that than the only competent person in the entire galaxy
0: (laughs) uh yeah so i don't know like and i i do like i said i really do like it and I think that like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of questions that are answered uh, by that from like I think from Samus's perspective, not necessarily from like a space pirate or Galactic Federation, you know, because I think that that's it's it really it is inconsequential to them, especially as uh, for what comes next. Mm-hmm. But I think that like for Samus, I don't think it really changes anything about her because I don't think this this is not an all or nothing change. This is a this is a progression and her her story arc that ha- that's been happening over the course of the last 20 some years. That's true. And that's th- very true. And I and I think that whenever she realized that if anything it she just she just embraced it because the metroids and you know the x parasite and what it means to be a metroid of, are just so natively ingrained in who samus is up to this point that I think that whenever uh, quiet robe and, or I'm sorry um, Raven beak is like you are now 100% just you are a Metroid. I think samus is like all right <laughs> and you're gonna have to deal with those implications yeah. now uh, and she embraces it full body and I think that that's it's such a it's another one of those moments where you really connect with samus because in any given moment in a video game whenever you have a revelation you as a as a player of that character are forced to take that initiative and drive forward with it and say, I'm accepting this, and I'm going to thrive in this moment. Right. I'm going to beat your ass. So, and then Samus is always just a gun ho. I'm going to take what I get and roll forward, that this is just another example of how just very connected the player and Samus are when receiving this news, because it, it it's not, it, it's a shock to her. You can see it literally on her face when they, they show her face whenever he tells her that. Mm-hmm. But she takes no time to process and all the time to act,
1: yeah and it so. it changes gameplay, uh, not gameplay, but it changes a couple of details about her in really interesting ways, where like uh her finisher moves for uh the shows of warriors that you fight from that point on every time- every killing blow has her draining it like a metroid as opposed to oh, so cool. it's it so awesome, cool. and that's a really good <laughs> point too about how you as a player want to take this up and just drive forward because hesitating would mean, you know, putting the game down. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and, and so that's reflected in Samus where she just takes this and rolls with
0: it. Yeah, 100%. Um, so like you said, I mean, it gives you a lot of new abilities and Samus is at this point more uh, driven than ever to track down Ravenbeak and fight him and eventually... That's exactly what happens. And then whenever you eventually fight Raven Beak, it's a, I personally didn't think this was the hardest battle in the game, but man, it is so cool. Mm-hmm. It, it forces you to incorporate everything that you have learned. And this was, that's why I love this game so much because I didn't have a, a big issue with this boss. It was definitely a pain. Don't get me wrong. I died a few times, but there were other bosses that I died more. But the game does such a good job of progressing you in learning how the game was played like I was talking about earlier that hopefully, and it was for me, by the time I got to this boss, I realized I need to be tight on my controls. I need to remember what my abilities are. I need to remember how to maneuver precisely and correctly Mm -hmm. and utilize every weapon I have in my arsenal to take this guy down. And it felt so good. It felt so good to deliver those blows in a way that – I went a full cycle of the boss of his of his one of his three cycles without even getting hit. Yeah, and it felt so good. And you can do that. You can go the whole boss without getting hit with the counter attacks. It allows you to fail on those and still have the ability to recover. It feels so natural. It doesn't feel like a video game boss. It feels like you're in Samus's shoes. Really, just delivering the final blow that she's been so desperate to deliver this whole time agreed I, I agree with
1: you completely i don't think this is necessarily the hardest boss in the game but what it is is a culmination of everything that the game has been teaching you up until this point it it feels like a final exam and that's what a final boss should do um and it's i mean can we can we just talk about how cool Ravenbeak is just from a design standpoint
0: oh my god he's like the he's like the sephiroth of chozo i mean quite literally like he's he's fucking awesome like he's strong he's fast he loses one of his wings so he's and he tears the other one off oh my, (laughs) yeah he literally tears his own fucking wing off this dude is so hardcore i love it so much
1: (laughs) i i was i had the dumbest grin on my face during that scene
0: i was (laughs) this is so insanely awesome I have the weirdest boner. No, it was it was fantastic. And then like when you finally get to the point where like you win, like this, just like those God of War esque like Mm -hmm. cutscenes that like the very small this those cutscenes are some of the moments like we were talking about earlier that where they do like the panning effect that really create a depth to the environment and like the boss arenas are so they're so unique because most of the time you go to a boss arena, sometimes it's a room with two doors. Sometimes you don't really ever go back to it, but they're still so unique that whenever they do that 3d panning effect or whether there's some type of special effect that takes place in the room, you don't even realize how much design is in those areas until those really take place or grid, but it's not because it's limiting you in those other scenes. It's because you're so focused on what, task they're putting in front of you that whenever you finally get those cutscenes that really expand that world you have, it gives you those couple seconds and those quick time events. It's like, all right, hit this button. I can take a couple seconds to really soak in yeah. what's going on. And it's so cool. I, I I'm going to, I can gush about this game for fucking days. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this, this is a part that gets kind of interesting. So after you beat Raven beak, there's like Samus, I love this ability to where it's like every time that you like get past one of his stages, she's like sucking the life out of him Mm -hmm. almost. And it's like you get to that final stage and you beat him and she just just absorbs him. She Metroids the shit out of him.
1: I believe that ability is called the big suck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Michael, don't leave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um. yeah, so she does the big suck, and then uh, there you have it. You happy now, Max? Very. <laughs> um, and then because her abilities now at this point that she has fully, not only has she fully like it's not just like a straight up like defeat. Like she's actually, I'm pretty sure if I'm if I'm not mistaken, there's like a cut scene. She's in like a chokehold. Oh yeah. To where he's he knows that he's been like I guess morally and um, just beat down and he he's lost the battle mm-hmm. but he's like alright I'm done with this shit and goes to choke hold Samus and Samus eventually gets the upper hand no pun intended grabs him by the face I'm pretty sure and just like Metroid sucks the life out of him and then it like the camera pans back and she's in like this super I had a very love hate relationship with the design of this I think that's fair but it's it's got, like, a lot of sharp edges. It's, like, this greenish, brownish, purplish mm-hmm. uh, thing with, like, this this very edgy armor, essentially. I mean, that's that's the Metroid thing. Every time you beat a big, huge boss or advance to a new area, you get this a new set of armor. And this is, like, the Chozo armor. It's got, like, a beak-type look to the front of it and not, like, right... Not super on the nose about that, but just, like very much you just absorbed like one of the most powerful beings in on this planet and now in the metroid fashion just because of the way that the chozo have designed things to kind of organically integrate with bio bio organisms you are now this weird combination of samus's power suit and a chozo which has this crazy strong energy beams and then the planet starts to collapse on itself. So I think you have what like 5 minutes if that I think to it's get like free. From that. They give they do not give you a lot of time to get off planet. Yeah, so you got to get back from that boss all the way back to the um your ship and some of the areas are closed down. So there's you have this beam that can now like bust through entire walls. Mm. And so you kind of have to use, a, again, a combination of your old abilities and new abilities to kind of find where. It's it's not as obtuse as it sounds. It's pretty actually straightforward. But eventually you make it back to your ship and you get off planet. And then there's this, this is another one of those things like the game design has been leading up to this. where you, When you're getting chased by the Emmys, you have to absorb this like plasma beam-esque type thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have that ability to be able to shoot like break away its faceplate and then shoot it in the head to kill it, and there's like these scenes where it goes away from being 2D to 3D while you're doing that, to where you have to aim precisely and keep a steady beam of energy on its face as it's if it's as it's uh, moving towards you, and then eventually it cracks and you kill it. This has like that same thing to where it's there's this big giant uh, the X had possessed. Um, raven beak and now he's like this giant i don't even know what type of monster he is it almost looked like Kraid, which was sort of weird yeah you're right it did it's a big old Kraid alien um and maybe it was just a size thing i don't know because a lot of those things had that weird like ridley beak almost i think that was intentional by the way I, i don't know if we should talk about that like whenever you'd fight like the warriors whenever you'd get the the counter on them mm-hmm. and, like, you get up close to them, like, all their faces would come out and they'd have those, like, teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, they all looked like Ridley's. And I was like, ah, that cannot be uh, an accident. That's but, interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so... But anyway, so there's this final scene where you have to do this once again and try to use, like, all this energy to beat this creature back down and kill it. And then the planet's collapsing on itself. You end up killing the creature. You jump in your ship. And then... This is where I want to talk about, like spend the time talking about it. Sure. The there's an ex parasite that's possessed quiet robe mm-hmm. and it appears in Samus's ship. And it allows itself to be absorbed into Samus, supposedly neutralizing that that ability that she had gained from. It definitely neutralized the ability she gained from, um, uh, uh, Ravenbeak, but this is where the game leaves you kind of like iffy is at this moment, does that neutralize all of her Metroid abilities or does it just neutralize what she gained from Ravenbeak? So, because the ex-parasite like, have the ability to count, like contradict Metroids mm-hmm but I don't know, the game is really ambiguous on as to what really happened there.
1: So I had a slightly different interpretation of what was happening in that last scene. So to go back to the boss fight with Ravenbeak, he's got you in a chokehold, and there's a moment where it looks like if Samus doesn't die, she comes very close to death, where she passes out, her helmet goes blank, and that's when her abilities fire up. And I thought in that moment the idea wasn't that she was absorbing any powers necessarily from Ravenbeak. But when she came clo- that close to death, it triggered in these sort of latent Metroid abilities. And basically that Metroid DNA took over. And that's why her suit looks like that. Hmm. And the reason I think that is that would mean that, you know, absorbing the next parasite from uh, Quiet Robe at the end would maybe neutralize that and bring it back into balance. So I would say that she's still probably 100% Metroid, um, but probably can't access those abilities unless, you know, you hit that point in the anime where your character's at the lowest point in their (laughs) their fight (laughs) and needs to go Super Saiyan.
0: (laughs) I hate that, too. (laughs) There's... We might not make it past episode one, folks. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's a that's a good take. I I hadn't thought about it like that, so I I don't know. I mean that's part of the one of the reasons I want to do this show is because we're gonna be able to talk about things like that that I definitely hadn't thought about, and I want to hear your guys' take too. So. Uh, we'll open up a Discord and we'll have, you know, if you want the invite, it's always going to be in, in the description of the episode down below. So click on it and join us. And let's talk about it. We'll have a thread for every game that we discuss. And then we can just, you know, op- I mean, if you, you join this 10 episodes deep, I mean, we'll still jump in there and, and read and discuss. I mean,
1: most definitely. The wonderful thing about this is that these are all games that we love and probably will love for ever. So we're happy to talk about any of them at any point. So... First thing I want to hear from people, uh, what is Samus' DNA breakdown at this point? How much percent human is she? How much Chozo? How much Metroid? How much that bitch?
0: She is 100% that bitch. I All right. could not agree more. <laughs> So that's, that's the story. And we, we have beat on like the gameplay, the playability, the interconnectivity with the characters, like the creative elements, the technical, we've, we've kind of broken down a lot of these things. And I want to hit on just a couple of the other points now that you have like a, I would say at this point, anyone listening has a pretty good idea of what to expect from this game. For sure. Um, we've talked about a little bit about the, like, I don't want to harp on it too much, but like touching on the creativity of the game mm-hmm. the graphical component of this game is fantastic and i think that i don't think it needs touched on a lot because if we have that many good things to say about it and we haven't talked about the graphics it's because the game is so fluid and it's the graphics are very much suited to what the game is trying to do it's not overly flashy it's very pretty it's very colorful mm-hmm. and the world is exactly as pretty as it needs to be it doesn't do anything the game doesn't need to do. Yeah, I,
1: I would agree with that completely. And I think, you know, even in this day and age, you're somewhat limited by the Switch hardware. So don't go into it expecting it to look like any other, like, huge AAA game. What this game does incredibly well in its art choices um, is keep everything legible. On the screen, there's going to be a lot of things flying around all the time. And in some other games... I think it can be easy to lose track of your character or what's going on because there's too many flashy bits. And if you're a huge fan of Ori and the Blind Forest, I'm I'm sorry, but...
0: Oh, my God.
1: It's a great game. game. It's a great game. But I ran into this problem a lot while playing it, is there is too much glowy shit on the screen at one time, and it became very hard to keep track of, like,
0: what just killed me. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. Absolutely. And this game...
1: Uh, does such a good job keeping things frantic, but still you're always aware of, of what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I think that again, that's just another point that they use to drive home, how connected you are to Samus. Because if you think about Samus being in that 2d environment, she can't see everything. Mm-hmm. Like she's not an omnipotent being as to what she knows everything that's going on around her. Although you're controlling her and you can see those things, Samus would have such a limited scope as to just what's in front of her, maybe what her sensors are picking up. So if it, obviously that's a little bit, you know, ethereal and how f- you could, you could frame what we're talking about, but this is another way that you can really connect with Samus is that you're focused on the one thing or the few things that are happening in your environment that you can control, you have access to, mm-hmm. or that you can actively lock onto to be able to take down. Yeah. So uh, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so we, we play through the game. We beat the game. We, we love the game. We have a fantastic time with it. And now I want to talk about where, the, how we played it and the way that we played this game. So when I played this game, we talked about I played handheld. We talked about how tight the controls were. You played on your machine on a TV um, or docked on the TV. I did a... We both played on normal mode mm-hmm. right away, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, and I 100% of the game. And did you, what percentage do you know that you, if you finished, or when you finished it, what was it at? I, my first run was maybe
1: 40%. Like, okay. very, I didn't go out of my way for a lot of stuff. Um, I will say that uh, on my second playthrough, I 100%ed it. Um, but my yeah, my first time through, I was any percent, and I was so driven to get to the end of the game, I didn't want to take my time and go back and, and do a lot of backtracking. <laughs>
0: No, I, I and that I'm glad that you actually played through it twice cuz I haven't completed my second playthrough yet. Um let's uh, replay value. So it's like I want to I want to combine these things into two cuz I know the episodes actually run I mean obviously I don't have a timetable for these episodes. They could be an hour, they could be 3 hours. I really don't care. Right. Um but for the the replay value and your money to value ratio, you're actually really getting out of the, this game because like Obviously, with everything we've talked about, I have I feel like I've already gotten my $60 worth and I've only done one full playthrough of this game. Um, but I'm loving my second playthrough and I'm still finding myself very attached to the environment. So so as someone who's completed two playthroughs, how do you feel about the replay value and how do you feel? Do you feel you're getting your every dollars worth out of this game? Yeah,
1: I'd say look. I think just based on the amount of love and the quality of this game, if you did one playthrough, even though it's a short game, you know, I don't think I was taking a huge amount of time. And I, I still came under eight hours, I think, on my first playthrough. Um, just as a, a as a piece of media, you know, I, I think it's of exceptional quality. And one playthrough is enough to get uh, your money's worth. But... I, I think there are so many chances to go back and find items that you didn't find before. A lot of little challenges. I really wish I had kind of done that in my first playthrough now um, because it really expanded the scope of the world and some of the most interesting like little puzzles were just figuring out how to get to you know this missile pod or this energy tank. And spoiler alert, you have to shine spark for those every time without fail. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you've somehow gotten through this and you've had the entire game spoiled for you and you're still on the fence as to whether or not you should buy it, I would say, yes, do it. Um, but understand that if you're a diehard about getting the most amount of hours for your money, you're going to be doing multiple run-throughs and every run-through, you're going to be getting a little bit better at the game. And if you feel like you're not being challenged, you can bump it up to hard mode. You can get your ass kicked like I did, and then you can set it down and tell yourself you're a scrub.
0: <laughs> well, I, And I think that, like, I, I know that you were, you were building up to a joke there. But I think there's, like, there's so much truth in what you were saying is that, you know, the game wants you – the game is designed to be played on normal mode. Mm-hmm. It really is. The first playthrough is designed to be played on normal. And then it says, by the way, you know – we wanted you to play this for the story because we, they really, I mean, I, I'm going to go and say, this is the most story driven Metroid game. There's been it it hundred percent is it, it's, it's light, it's digestible, but it is powerful and it does exactly what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. And whenever you play through this game on normal mode, it incentivizes you to say, look, you just played through this whole game on normal. You got to that point in the end where you felt you had mastered those controls. Now take that and go back, do it again and then really get intimate with it and really go back. Now that you're very intimate with those controls, play it on a harder difficulty. And then after you're done with that, you unlock fusion mode, which lets you go through it again, where it's like one to two hits are going to kill you. So you need to be ultra precise. This game has a lot of replayability. And if you are a perfectionist and if you are a completionist, you're not going to be satisfied with a 100% normal run. Right. You want to be able to, you might be satisfied with the 100% run, but you also want to be able to beat it on fusion mode. And if that's you out there, you're going to get a lot of, of value for your money in this game. You have that ability to really maximize your your uh, input on this. And I think that the game, just the way that we talked about it with our love for the game, and this is why I think it's important to to bring it up this way, we were able to identify why it was important to um, play and learn every mechanic and beat them to perfection to be able to, to get to the end of this game. And if you can continue to take what the game was trying to show you and apply it to every difficulty and continue to improve and continue to be better at what the game is doing, then that that's really what any game is all about Mm -hmm. and this game does it perfectly and you can because even having a quote-unquote mastery of those abilities i didn't finish the final boss without taking a hit you know yeah and i'm probably would get to the point if i played on fusion mode i would need to do that so i mean this game has a lot of replayability and a lot of of value in that playability if you ask me no i think that's that's absolutely true so so go ahead Oh no! Go no go ahead. No, I was going to move on to something else. So you, you hit it.
1: Go for it, man. Uh, I also was going to move on to something else. My my question was going to be, and this is something that I've sort of wondered as I've gone through my second playthrough. Um, you know, when the Metroid franchise started, obviously it was a genre defining breakthrough. There was nothing else like Metroid out there. Um, and that isn't the case anymore. You know, Metroidvania is a is a really standard industry term. Um, and it's been a, a, especially popular for indie developers um, to, to create games that sort of work like a Metroid game. So given that it's uh, you know, much more common to see these kind of games, how do you think Metroid Dread stacks up against something like Ori or something like Hollow Knight?
0: I think that I mean if we're if we're talking about those specifically, I could go into just examples, but I think that we're probably asking in the in the term of like Metroidvania's as a genre as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you're if you're stacking this up against any of those, I think that Metroid Dread, and I actually touched on this point specifically in the review, Metroid Dread should be the new standard for Metroidvania games. Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't try any new fancy tricks. It introduces character and story-relevant ideas, and it executes on everything that you were expecting in a Metroid game perfectly. And not just a Metroid game, but Metroidvania games. It, it it reaches out to those other games and says, what do you do, and how can we do it better? And without making it feel like they're stealing anything. Yeah. I didn't feel like there was a single moment in this game that I was reaching into another game and pulling something out of it. It just did everything, the music, the environment, the character development, the story, the, the just even down to the brightness of the screen and the, your options for the accessibility in the game were just perfect. And it just is made for everyone Mm -hmm. because it is so, it is made to present exactly what it's doing well, and anyone can have fun with this. And I think that in a, in terms of accessibility, that is 100% crucial for a genre-defining title. I mean, you look at, like, Soulsborne games, things like that. Those games are genre-defining because they've kind of created a niche, and now that things are creating new things around them, they lack elements. And then if you look at something that even though Metroid is a cornerstone of the Metroidvania name, this game does everything perfectly and they need to look at this now as instead of how can we cherry pick elements of this, not only is it what everything should be held as the standard, but the way that it created this should be held as the standard. Mm -hmm. You need to take everything and just execute perfectly and build off something that is done well as opposed to something that they're copying from. I think that's fair.
1: Yeah. And it's nice because I think Dread, despite being, uh, quote unquote, the end of an arc, Of a Metroid of the Metroid series up until this point, Um, I think it creates a really obvious entry point for people who, you know, may not have played a Metroidvania game before. Um, I think this would be a great place to start. You know, it it's exactly, you know, like we said, the difficulty uh, curve is is pretty much perfect um it's engaging right from the beginning and it doesn't have a lot of frustrating backtracking that a lot of other games in this genre do Mm -hmm. the problem is it'll probably ruin all other games for you
0: (laughs) i and i think that like i and i know that like there's a part of you is joking when you say that but I, i think that it's it's true but it's also very untrue because the way that like obviously, if you compare other games to this, you're going to be able to point out other flaws that Metroid Dread does perfectly. But if you look at how Metroid Dread encases everything that it does within the the amazing frame of how a Metroid game normally presents itself, mm-hmm. I think that you'll find that other games have won't benefit from copying the way Metroid does. Dread does things. Other games will benefit. From looking at their own formula and perfecting it, and that's what other game studios should take from this game. It is not the what it's giving to the to the gamers. It's how they c- took exactly what they've already done and just made it better because you already have something that's established. I think you don't need anything new. You need to
1: be, do it well. I think that's a great point. I think that's an incredible point. The other thing that every studio should do uh, is avoid making other M if you can.
0: just just stop it's like hey we want you to make a metro game but make it as much like ninja Gaiden as possible (laughs) also make it really shitty people are gonna love that got it they're gonna love it we're gonna (laughs) also say uh ridley now a purple bird just (laughs) that's it he's a bird and an egg with fur like just that's it (laughs) (laughs) oh my god nintendo what were you thinking that was a weird moment (laughs) I, and I ha, I really do have to think that that's like why they're so delayed on Prime 4 mm. is, I mean, because we, if you're out there and you don't know, they handed Prime 4 to a studio. It probably would have been done by now, but they walked into the studio on a, a demo of the product and they said, absolute garbage, throw this away and you're all fired. I, and man, I love Nintendo's balls when they, and I think it's because of Other M that they did that.
1: I think that's probably true, but I mean, uh, how much money would you give to be a fly on the wall during that demo? I oh my so God. desperately want to see what that game <laughs> looked like.
0: I do, but I don't. I do, but I don't. <laughs> uh, just to round out some of the the topics on, I mean, we've talked we've we've talked up and down mm-hmm. about this about this game, but I guess I just want to just like one final question. Um, give me like a two or three sentence, or uh, more than that, but just just round out your overall opinion on Dread for me. You know, we've we've talked about all the elements of the game. We talked about any problems that we had with it, which obviously we really didn't have any. Talked about unique features for us. We talked about things that excited us about it, uh, how it compares to other games, um, in the in the same genre. But like all in all. Like, we know you had a great experience with it, but what was just your overall feeling and emotion for this game? Sure. Um,
1: When I wrapped up the game, I texted you and I said, very simply, it's the best one. And I stand by that. And it's so satisfying to see what feels like a culmination of, of a series. You know, like you were saying, is just taking everything that every other Metroid game has done and perfect it to a mere sheen is just, it's such a triumph. Um, and it's inspiring. You know, like I, I personally, you know, Nintendo puts out games that are generally very, very high quality um, and then maybe don't succeed in so many ways as, as this game does. And, you know, after such a long hiatus, um, it it felt like this was a passion project in a way that you don't generally see from a large first... Uh, yeah, th- a large developer like Nintendo. It just... I cannot say enough good things about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that they accomplished everything that they wanted to do with this game but i think that they i don't think that they intended dread to be such a just a colossal like we just to harken back to the beginning of the show just the colossal love letter to the series it was mm-hmm. like i think that they intended to just be you know completely um meticulous in every aspect of the game but i think that they i don't think they realized just how much fans were going to appreciate because if, if you look across the table at the, the majority of the reviews for this, uh, this game, they are, they're incredible. I mean, people don't have any bad things to say about this outside of, you know, a, an occasional gripe about the difficulty or something like that. It generally speaking, it's just phenomenally made. And even the title of my review, is nothing new. It's just done well. And I, I felt like not to (laughs) going back to Thanksgiving. I felt full (laughs) after I beat this game. I felt satisfied. I felt empowered and I felt like I, I wanted to get my hands on another Metroidvania game to just satisfy that the urge. Cause it it was like, it was like getting hit with a meteor (laughs) and then it like for some reason in every, every instance you've ever seen of a meteor, the only thing that's left of that meteor is the hole that it leaves. (laughs) And it just, it impacted me in such a way that I I was taken completely aback. And now I just have such a, a love and admiration for this game that like, I don't know if anything's going to be able to fill that hole for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in my opinion, again, I agree with you. Metroid dread 10 out of 10, like top of the line game because of what it does and what it does well, but as, as just and the gaming industry as a whole, they need to look at this game and hold other games to that standard, not just as Metroidvanias, but just games as a whole. If you have an established franchise, perfect what you do and do it well. Mm-hmm.
1: And I so. hope, Sonic the Hedgehog, if you're listening, that was, <sighs> that was pointed commentary at you.
0: I hate everything about what you just said. <laughs> Not, not because I don't agree with you, because Sonic, I mean, if you know me, Sonic can fuck off and die in a hole. I'm sick of you. I don't think you're ever capable of doing anything cool. You, Like you said, Max, it was literally intended as a tech demo, and that's it. Like, just stop. I, I don't really—I'm <laughs> hurt is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm really hurt. I'm going to try to um, work
1: Sonic the Hedgehog into every one of these episodes, and it's not because I hate him. It's because I think he could do better. I don't believe that he will, but I think he could.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that's what makes it so disappointing, is we all know his potential's there, but it's just Exa- never up. I feel like an
1: angry stepdad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Been there, dude. <laughs> um. So obviously we, we beat this game to death, and I, I hope that... I hope our opinions of this game have really just inspired everyone to not only go out and pick it up, but just, just spend time with it and really don't rush it. Just enjoy it. I mean, the game is, the game is beautiful top to bottom in every aspect. And I really hope that all of you guys really get the chance to really spend some time with it. Uh, like we did. I spent, uh, since I did a hundred percent completion run on my first run, um, I spent, I think it was a little under 14 hours, uh, with it, and that was hundred percent completion, like I said. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that really, I think you guys are going to get a lot of enjoyment out of this. If you have listening, I think if you even touched this episode, um, you're either, you know, you're either visiting the show for the first time because it just came out, or you're coming back to this because you know who we are, or you just typed Metroid Dread and this popped up. I mean, any of those thi- three things. If you like video games, you're going to you're gonna love this. I mean, it has something for everyone. If you know us, that means you're likely reaching out to us and you're, you're friends with us, so you're connecting with us. We probably have something in common, so you're going to like this game. If you just like video games and you search Metroid and you wanted to see what this game was about, you're going to love it. Just go buy it. So I know you, we've gotten our take on this, and this is this is a segment that I want to kind of round out every show with. Uh, second opinions. So... Uh, Max, you cool to jump into this? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I am so excited. Nice opinion. Just one tiny problem with it. So uh, naturally, the point of, of this segment is obviously we just most of the games that we play here, we're probably going to have a 9 out of 10 review, personally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go to Metacritic here. And I'm going to give you the user review score for like the overarching user review score for Metacritic. Um, And then we're going to look at some of the (laughs) the low end of the hanging fruit, because obviously we're going to be on the high end of these. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you venture to take a guess, Max, as to what the average user score for Metroid Dread is? The average user
1: score. I would say that it's pretty well received. I'd say
0: uh high eights. Like an eight. Oh man. Go ahead. Take a guess. Like an eight. Take a Eight point eight, eight, 8. eight. You are so close. Oh. Eight point seven. Okay. You were that I don't know if you're ever gonna beat that Probably personally. Not. That was a that was a good hit. Um so 8.7 user score, obviously, like, that's pretty good. The I think the Metacritic score is actually 88. So those, those actually align pretty closely. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down to here to uh, – there are two reviews that I want to specifically touch on, and we can spend some time talking about these if we want to. And we can – like I said, we, we're we going to talk about some objective things. We're going to talk about some subjective things. We're going to talk about why these people are – objectively stupid <laughs> uh, because these are bad and I hate everything these have to say. Uh, but if there are nuggets of truth in here, I want to dig them out and I want to discuss them with you. Sure. Um, so we have our first one. It is, it is a 60, which uh, I mean, ultimately isn't their worst scores. Mm-hmm. But in light of the glowing review, we just gave it. It's insulting. Yes. Uh, this is by Guardian. And the review says, Perhaps I'm asking too much. We don't pry for depth from Mario as he rescues his princess, or ask what motivates Tom Nook in his real estate empire. Like pretty much all Nintendo's games, with their long legacies and perfect jumps, this feels good to play and that should be enough. But I don't come to Nintendo, I don't come to a Nintendo title for enough. I left Dread feeling that perhaps the real legacy of 2D Metroids will be the games it inspires rather than the games themselves. This review hurts my soul because it's almost the exact opposite of the way that we feel about Metroid Dread. Yeah, so right from the
1: top, I spent so much time wondering about Tom Nook's motivations. I've lost sleep over it. (laughs) (laughs) That dude gives you a house interest-free. You pay him back in dirt and shit, and he—it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> it's some sort of weird raccoon money laundering scheme, and I've lost sleep about it. Oh man! The other thing is that uh, one—I hope this game does go on to inspire games, and if there's a better game around the corner based on like what they pull from Dread, unbelievable. But that's because Dread has set such a high standard for games going forward.
0: Hmm. yeah i think my my primary issue with this review is that it it says the game does everything well just very it, it subtly says this game's fantastic but i just didn't like it is what this mm-hmm. review really it really says it doesn't give you any depth it doesn't give you any creative improvements on the game it just says that i like other metroid games better is what it says and that's not a good review. Like whoever wrote this, I think I I like to think, I like the idea of doing this segment because it lets me be subjective and just tear into people. Right. But the problem with this review is it's not a review. They're just saying, I like games with depth like Mario. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Mario games have no depth whatsoever. So you can suck me right there. Uh, like you said about Tom Nook, that's a f- invalid point. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo games and their long legacies of perfect jumps. I mean, that's a valid point, but this game has all that, but encases it in a beautiful shell that has everything to offer, like a snow globe. Like there's just, it's just a perfect amalgamation of everything. And this, this review ignores everything Nintendo put on the table for us and just looks at the idea that it's not their favorite 2D Metroid game that w- they've already predetermined to be better than this. Yeah.
1: No, I think that's fair. Um, and and you know what? I think it was. it's been so long since we've had a Metroid game that we were due for a more stripped down sort of, you know, pure kind of greatest hits, which is what I think this is. You know, the the one before this for 2D games was Metroid Fusion. That game was weird as hell. It made some, like, really, really bold calls in terms of, like, how it approached level design and um, putting the narrative much more, like, in your face. You know, so you got your innovation there. Um, are you looking for, like, a crazy departure for the Metroid series? You had that in 2002 when Prime came out. Like, yeah, I don't think every game has to be its franchises breath of the wild
0: yeah well we could talk about that later you're right uh (laughs) um there's actually a worse review but i don't want to talk about that one because there's not enough to it it's like two sentences and i feel like it would we would end up talking more about things you've already discussed if we hit on this one so i'm going to actually go up one Mm. and we'll just do one more it actually gives it a better score coming in at a 70 percent called Digitally Downloaded is the, is the company, quote-unquote, that reviewed this. And it says, I left Metroid Dread feeling quite conflicted about it. On the one hand, I do think it is fundamentally well-designed and the main gameplay element, the Robot Stalkers, the Emmy, are woven into the Metroid formula beautifully. On the other hand, that Metroid formula is getting long in the tooth and Dread does not do nearly enough to revitalize it. Dread is fine It's not just, or, well, that's what it says, but it should be. It's just not nearly memorable enough of a game that fans have been waiting so long for for years now. I picked this one to do instead of the 50 because I think this person understands, unlike the person before that we talked about, understands ultimately what the goal of this game was. Mm -hmm. And I think that they have just a bit of a contorted view because I think that they understand exactly like what this game does did well but i don't feel like they took the time with it i feel like they if that's your view on the game you played it to review it and you rushed it i think that's because this uh, no i think that's probably true um and the other thing
1: about that is that like you're comparing the game that we got which is undeniably well made and has a thousand like small nuances to it that make it incredible to what some hypothetical like you know like platonic ideal of what a metroid game could be you know unless he's giving any sort of like criticisms where i wish we would see this improved or i you know here's a new idea that i think it would be fun to incorporate i you're holding it to a standard of a game that doesn't exist which i think is unfair and unproductive
0: I agree. And just not to get like off topic, I'm looking at some of these other reviews that in the, in the 70 range and the way Metacritic works is anything above like a 75. I believe it branches into the green category and below that's like a yellow. Mm -hmm. And I, I hate to say that, like, is it, would it really be that hard to get us onto Metacritic? Like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> the Games Radar review says frustrating boss battles and cumbersome controls distract you from an otherwise fun and isolating adventure. Huh. <laughs> 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 there are so many. I want to punch whoever wrote this review in the face. Like, oh my God. That's so infuriating. Just be if so you... in love with the game and see someone just glaze over it with that sentence if
1: you start out with (laughs) frustrating boss battles i my eyes glaze over immediately
0: (laughs) all right oh yeah as especially as uh as souls players (laughs) like playing these it's like there was a difficulty spike but i felt it and i knew what i needed to do i don't know i had one moment when we were
1: uh the uh the the giant boss that's wrapped around the uh the lava core um yeah towards i think it's like towards the midpoint in the game a little bit past the midpoint that was the one time where i had a a soul's moment trademark um where (laughs) i just beat my head against it like five times and i died over and over again and i realized like oh i've been playing this game for hours i should go to bed (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah absolutely where
1: it's just i didn't realize how fried i was until i came back the next day and had you know way less of a problem with it but that was the one moment in the entire thing where i was like this is on me i'm just i i've put myself in a hole here
0: yeah mine was the boss in the water oh the tentacles i forgot about that that one yeah, that one got me real bad. And that was like, I had to put the game down because I was getting very frustrated with mm. it. And then I literally beat it the next time I came back to yeah. it, like without a problem. It's like the game is just, it's, the boss battles are frustrating because you're not taking the time to appreciate them. Like you, they're all very easy if you can master the mechanics. And that's what makes the game good is it It makes you learn those yeah. things. I know I've beat that to death, so I'm not going to go into that anymore. No, but... but-
1: for anybody listening, this is Michael and Max's gamer pro tip number one: If you're not having a good time with a game or you're getting frustrated, put it down. Nobody's forcing you to be there. You can leave.
0: Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Uh, and I, I'm not going to segue off of that because I don't want to. I don't want you to have that same opinion of, of the show. But we have spent. Almost two hours talking about Metroid Dread, and honestly, I could I could continue to talk about it, but I'm just gonna keep referencing the same exact shit over and over again because <laughs> this game, again, it doesn't do anything new; it just does everything well. Mm-hmm. And I will post our review on, in our Discord. Um, Max co I want I don't want to say co-authored, but definitely edited the review that I wrote. Um, I didn't change much. <laughs> it's. I actually, I'm very proud of the review, and I'm—I've ha- never actually written a full-fledged game review before, and I—it's—it's it's about three pages long. I had a lot to say. Um, obviously, we just talked about it for two hours. Um, but yeah, check it out. I'll post it in in the Discord once I get it sub, set up, and I'll probably have that set up here in the next few days. Which I'm not sure when this is being recorded to release time. It'll be out before this releases. <laughs> so just click the link below. To get access to the Discord, it's free. You just jump in there. You'll be able to read the reviews. We can start talking about Dread. We can talk about any other uh, episodes that are potentially out. Um, and not every episode is going to be for you. So if you see a game and you love the podcast and you want to listen to it, awesome. If you don't, dude, no harm, no foul. I'm not going to be offended. Uh, and that's like Max said if you're here and you're enjoying it, great. If you're not having a good time, then like jump out. Like, No harm, no foul. Life is
1: too short to be listening to a podcast about a game you don't like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fact, 100%. Uh, That being said, though, everyone that's listening, thank you so much. Like This is 100% a passion project. Max and I, I, I think it goes without saying, have been subtly dancing around the idea of doing something like this for a very long time. For sure. I mean, our... These types of conversations are literally what spawn I's friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ability just to put it in front of a microphone and then have that type of natural conversation between the two of us, we hope is something that everyone out there uh, loves, and you guys want more of it. And if not, that's fine. <laughs> you know, we want we want to hear your feedback. So what you know, we're gonna open up the Discord. Feel free to leave. A review, if capable, in your in your iTunes or your your Google Podcast, whatever you use to listen to those shows. Um, I know not everyone out there has one, uh, but if we, you know, we'll open up social media channels for you to jump in there, leave a review, and you know, be honest with us. If if you think that we sucked, let us know what we can do better. Try not to be critical, just to be critical. Like, let us know what we could do better because mm-hmm. we really do want to improve. If you want to leave me a two star review that's fine, but let me know what I can do to make that your next time listening a five-star experience because that's really what I want. Um, But ultimately what we want is to continue to focus on the games that we're passionate about. So if we don't get to something that you're really passionate about, I do apologize. But if we're not going to have an excellent time playing it, like we're going to have an excellent time talking about it, then we're probably not going to get there. And I don't say that to offend anyone. I just say that because I want to set a realistic expectation of what the show is going to be. Uh, Max do you have anything to say on that (laughs) no I think that's I think that's pretty
1: much it my my one hope from people listening to the show is one you have some fun listening to people gush about a game that hopefully you love too and that these kind of conversations make you think a little bit more the next time you're playing a game and maybe you notice things about it that you wouldn't have otherwise and can appreciate things um, uh, uh, from a from a deeper perspective so we'd we'd love to hear about your experiences with Metroid Dread. We love the game. Um, I'd love to hear some opinions on it that weren't written by those two games journalists.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said, if you if you have any uh, conversations that you want to open up, click the link down below in the uh, in the description. That'll give you access to the Discord. Feel free to interact. Feel free to comment, and not just about the uh, you know Metroid Dread itself. We'll have channels for like uh, discussions for the show. We'll have things, just a general chat lobby. We'll have, uh, hopefully as many people as we can in there interacting and and talking about the, you know, the games that you guys love. And, uh, we'll have suggestions in there for things we can do to get better. So if there's a a part of the show that you think isn't great or something you'd really like to see come to the show, we're, we're willing to try anything out and discuss it with you guys. So, uh, jump in there. Let's have this conversations, uh, follow us on our social medias if they're available. You know we're we're doing this post any of that uh, coming to fruition, uh, but chances are that they, those things will be available and out there. Uh, so if they are available and out there, just feel free to check. It'll just be post game content uh, podcast. So uh, shout out to Max for that name. I really we really. Uh, we could, we'll, we'll publish another episode sometime, getting into, you know, the uh, the pre-show and you know how we we came up with everything that we we talked about today. But uh, thank you so much, Max, for you know doing this with me. Thanks for enjoying Dread as much as I did, and thank you for the conversation. This has been fantastic. Oh,
1: definitely. Uh, this was exactly what I had hoped it was be. So very excited about this, and I'm excited to see the next game that we talk about.
0: Yeah. And on that note, we will catch you later. Thanks again, Max. Thank you.